Hear the word of our Lord from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38, beginning in the first verse. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn you about and put hooks in your jaws, and I will bring you out and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords, Persia, Cush, and Put are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all his hordes, Beth Tagarma, from the uttermost parts of the north, with all his hordes, many peoples are with you. Be ready, and keep ready, you and all your hosts that are assembled about you, and be a guard for them. After many days you will be mustered. In the latter years you will go against the land that is restored from war, the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples, and now dwell securely, all of them. You will advance, coming on like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land, you and all your hordes, and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, On that day, thoughts will come into your mind, and you will devise an evil scheme and say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will fall upon the quiet people who dwell securely, all of them dwelling without walls and having no bars or gates, to seize spoil and carry off plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited and the people who were gathered from the nations, who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell at the center of the earth. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all its leaders will say to you, Have you come to seize spoil? Have you assembled your hosts to carry off plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to seize great spoil? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know it? You will come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great host, a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel, like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days I will bring you against my land, that the nations may know me. When through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Thus says the Lord God, are you he of whom I spoke in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who in those days prophesied for years that I would bring you against them? But on that day, the day that Gog shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, my wrath will be roused in my anger. For in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath I declare, on that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep on the ground and all the people who are on the face of the earth shall quake at my presence. And the mountains shall be thrown down and the cliffs shall fall and every wall shall tumble to the ground. I will summon a sword against Gog on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. 
With pestilence and bloodshed I will enter into judgment with him, and I will rain upon him and his hordes and the many peoples who are with him torrential rains and hailstones, fire and sulfur. So I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn you about and drive you forward and bring you up from the uttermost parts of the north and lead you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will strike your bow from your left hand and I will make your arrows drop out of your right hand. You shall fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your hordes and the people who are with you. I will give you birds of prey. I will give you to birds of prey of every sort into the beasts of the field to be devoured. You shall fall in the open field, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. I will send fire on Magog and on those who dwell securely in the coastlands, and they shall know that I am the Lord. In my holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let my holy name be profaned any more. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it is coming, and it will be brought about, declares the Lord God. That is the day of which I have spoken. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and make fires of the weapons and burn them, shields and bucklers, bow and arrows, clubs and spears, and they will make fires of them for seven years, so that they will not need to take wood out of the field or cut down any out of the forests, for they will make their fires of the weapons. They will seize the spoil of those who despoiled them and plunder those who plundered them, declares the Lord God. On that day I will give to Gog a place for burial in Israel, the valley of the travelers east of the sea. It will block the travelers, for there Gog and all his multitude will be buried. It will be called the valley of Haman Gog. For seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. All the people of the land will bury them, and it will bring them renown on the day that I show my glory, declares the Lord God. They will set apart men to travel through the land regularly and bury those travelers remaining on the face of the land, so as to cleanse it. At the end of seven months they will make their search, and when these travel through the land and anyone sees a human bone, then he shall set up a sign by it till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamangog. Hamanah is also the name of the city. Thus they shall cleanse the land. As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, Speak to the birds of every sort, and to all beasts of the field. Assemble and come gather from all around to the sacrificial feast that I am preparing for you, a great sacrificial feast on the mountains of Israel, and you shall eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, and of he-goats, of bulls, all of them fat beasts of Bashan. And you shall eat fat till you are filled, and drink blood till you are drunk, at the sacrificial feast that I am preparing for you. And you shall be filled at my table with horses and charioteers, with mighty men and all kinds of warriors, declares the Lord God. And I will set my glory among the nations, and all the nations shall see my judgment that I have executed, and my hand that I have laid on them. The house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. 
And the nations shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they dealt so treacherous with me, that I hid my face from them and gave them into the hand of their adversaries, and they all fell by the sword. I dealt with them according to their uncleanness and their transgressions, and hid my face from them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. They shall forget their shame and all the treachery they have practiced against me when they dwell securely in their land with none to make them afraid. When I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them from their enemies' lands and through them have vindicated my holiness in the sight of many nations." Then they shall know that I am the Lord their God, because I sent them into exile among the nations, and then assembled them into their own land. I will leave none of them remaining among the nations any more, and I will not hide my face any more from them, when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So, we're entering into some crazy times, aren't we? I think everybody knows that. If you've opened up the news or YouTube or anything at all recently, I'm pretty sure on the Disney Channel they've had a bit about Ukraine or something like that. And everybody wants to know, does, well, anybody that's grown up with Baptist family members, does this vindicate a whole lot of the people out there like Hal Lindsey who were proclaiming that during the end times, Russia was going to be a huge part of the end. A huge part of Armageddon. Often, because, well, Russia is considered by some to be Gog. The problem with this is that nobody knows exactly who Gog and Magog are. We have an idea that Meshech and Tubal, according to Josephus, are these, uh, these people more or less identified with the Scythians, people in Asia Minor, south of the, uh, the Caucasus Mountains. But that doesn't tell us who Gog and Magog are. So, we've, ha we've heard theories. Uh, Britannica tells us, well, it's been ident identified by modern scholars with Gyges, a 7th century BC king of Lydia. Again, that's closer to Asia Minor. Uh, there's also an Akkadian god, Gaga. Silly as that sounds. And it's been argued that the name Magog might be from some Akkadian thing, meaning from the land of Gyges. Well, okay, that doesn't really tell us much. Because uh, Gog, according to uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 4, I believe, that's a real human being. A descendant of the prophet Joel or some other Joel here but if that was the case Gog the grandson or so of Joel wouldn't exactly be an enemy of the peoples of God and when it comes to the descriptions that we hear from Ezekiel 38 and 39 that we just read we also have a problem seeing it as an end times event if we take it physically. What do I mean by this? If Let's say for a second that Russia is Gog. 
are they going to be fighting with bows and arrows? Are they going to be fighting with war clubs and swords? Or are they going to be having, you know, um, APCs and tanks and jets and guns? Probably the latter. So if somebody's going to have what I would call hermeneutic consistency, if they're claiming that this is a picture of an end times battle, and you have to take it literally that this has to take place in the land of Israel, the physical land that we call Israel or Palestine or Canaan, that, you know, that airstrip out in the Middle East. If you're going to claim that this has to be a literal physical battle, then according to hermeneutic consistency, if you're saying there's no symbols here, then you would also have to claim more likely than anything else that you're also fighting with medieval weaponry or ancient weaponry okay so what happened to all the guns that doesn't sound right does it <laughs> trust me a lot of Ezekiel is quite literal a lot of Ezekiel talks about what happens to kingdoms what happens to peoples how long are the children of Judah going to be in Babylon and what must they do to turn things around but there's also a lot of really typological stuff here and if we can't really identify Gog and Magog Meshech and Tubal as real places we can, we can say one theory or another that usually it's probably somewhere around Turkey, somewhere in Asia Minor. Well, okay, A, that cuts off Russia. B, I have a hard time believing Turkey is going to go ahead and invade Israel along with uh, Egypt and Ethiopia. <laughs> as, uh, as it does say here in Ezekiel 38, that he's got who with him. Persia, Kush, and Put. Okay, so let's assume here, if we're if we're gonna translate this stuff into modern terminology, if if Gog is Russia, Russia has taken over Turkey, and they've gotten Iran, Ethiopia, and Egypt to to join them in this little war. Does that make sense? And, and they're doing it, by the way, with primitive weaponry. Primitive for our times anyway. Nope, that doesn't work. Now, why do why do various theologians say that it's Russia? Well, because when we look here in verse 2, Son of man, set your face toward Gog in the land of Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. That word chief there comes from a word Rosh. Now, in Hebrew, Rosh just means head right? There is a man named Rosh in scripture. He's the seventh of the ten sons of Benjamin in Genesis 46. But it is, um, very few translations will have that as a proper name because, again, it more or less just means chief or head. Benjamin had a kid that he was like, yeah, let's name this dude chief. He's going to be awesome. Now, Rosh, is that a, is that really going to mean secretly Russia? Oh, Rosh? Oh, the Russians used to be referred to as Rus? Rus? Russia? Rosh? Oh, I've got it! 
Russia is going to be part of the end times. They're going to be the ringleader of evil. That, that doesn't really make sense. Because again, you're assuming because Meshek and Tubal have more or less been confirmed to be part of Asia Minor or Turkey, you're, you're saying that Russia at some point just takes over Turkey because the prince Rosh is there over them. And while we're at it, we're having a problem because um, Gog is an individual of the land of Magog. And if he's saying, oh, he's the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, this is an expansion of a neo-Russian empire. Now, is there a chance that this could be taken physically in some sense? Like, oh, well, the weapons, that's just Ezekiel trying to approximate what he saw in the vision or what he, what he heard from God. And is this, um, this prince here that's, that's you know, one man being a representative of an entire nation. Is that possible? Well, kind of. And I say kind of because this is not the only place in Holy Scripture that you find Gog and Magog. In fact, let's, uh, let's go here all the way to the end. Let's go to the book of Revelation here. And let's, let's read some passages here. Because St. John refers to the book of Ezekiel here in chapter 38 and 39. You might notice that in chapter 39, Ezekiel goes into some pretty graphic detail about birds just eating countless people. The marriage supper of the lamb. Just go ahead and just eat up, guys. You you birds, you ravens, you crows. Go ahead and eat up. Well, let's turn here to Revelation chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 11. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron." He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who in its presence has done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. That's a pretty darn clear 
illustration of what uh, the prophet Ezekiel is writing. And St. John gives us more details here than Ezekiel does, even though it's a shorter text. Because who is enacting the wrath of God on all these armies? Our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a future event. Something that has not happened yet, in which all of these armies of the world are destroyed and eaten up by a bunch of hungry birds. So, what Ezekiel describes here does not apply to ancient history. It has not happened yet. But at the same rate, we would also say then that it does not apply to a political nation of Israel. Let's get into that. So, Revelation chapter 20, John rewinds here. He rewinds a little bit with a different vision. Revelation 20, chapter 1, then I, or sorry, chapter 20, verse 1, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus, and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison, and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So Gog and Magog gets a shout out here in chapter 20. What does all this mean? Well, St. John here thanks be to God, defines Gog and Magog for us. He says in verse 7, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog. I almost wonder if, um, if they had been around if he had put that in per parentheticals. Gog is identified as a person, this chief prince. Magog is his land. The devil is often referred to as the, uh, the prince of the power of the air, or the little g-god of this planet. And so, it's Satan with the other enemy of the Christian, the world. Now, the, the Christian has three distinct enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The devil, obviously, is Satan. He hates you, has a horrible plan for your life, and that's the, the devil. He's the enemy of God. 
the flesh is your own capacity for sin, your original sin, what your old Adam wants you to do, seeking hedonism, seeking rebellion, seeking to do anything that is the opposite of what God has commanded. But then we come to the world and theologians have a harder time defining that. Suffice it to say, the world is the world system of humanity, which earnestly desires to be God. If you've ever wondered why Chairman Mao of ancient China put up so many monuments to himself, if you're ever wondering why there's so many statues of Lenin, why we have literal paintings out there about the supposed apothesis of George Washington, it is because the world's chief religion is the worship of man. Period. End of story. We have had a collective human sin of trying to seek godhood, some parts of the world being more honest than others. Uh, Mormonism comes to mind. But ever since the Garden of Eden, when Eve was told you shall become like gods, well, we've had that addiction. We've had that desire to be somebody great, to be somebody big. And the world then, as the collective of humanity that is seeking after this, absolutely is going to be in league with the devil. Magog is going to belong to Gog. That's it. And it is going to, at the end of the age, seek to finally destroy Israel. But if Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 and 39 are symbolic for the devil in the world, this ringleader of evil and his hordes and hordes and hordes of people fighting for him, is Israel going to be the, you know, that slice of land out there in the Middle East? No. Israel now, Israel today and in the future, is God's church. The church is new Israel. Supersession is still in effect according to Holy Scripture. So, this means that the world and the devil, teaming up and making themselves explicit, are going to make war on God and his people, his church. And this is going to be from everywhere in the planet. And Christ himself is going to step in and destroy them. That's about as clear as I can get on this. There are some details here that maybe we don't know. Meshech and Tubal are, well, they were real places, real people that are mentioned. Maybe in in the future there is a, oh, I don't know, a bigger role for some geographic locations and political powers that, uh, that maybe we wouldn't assume that that would be the big role that they play, yet here we are. But Holy Scripture doesn't identify Gog as Russia. And Gog isn't Vladimir Putin. To be honest with you, the real desire of the Christian here should be peace. Our Lord Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. I don't care why Putin and Zelensky are fighting, but I don't want to be punishing one nation over another, and I don't want them to be fighting in the first place. I honestly believe that Christians everywhere should be advocating for peace between these parties, 
And even the soft warfare that we're seeing, this economic war that's making everybody on the planet poorer, well, goodness gracious, can we stop that too? That's still war. That's still hurting people with organized force. That's stupid. You know, they say an eye for an eye leaves everyone blind, but in this, that's not just an eye for an eye. That's like, ha, I'm, you've been a bad boy, Putin. I'm going to sanction everything. And my people are going to pay $10 a gallon for gas for it. <laughs> really makes you suffer, doesn't it? Can we have peace instead? Can we end the fighting? This isn't an end times thing. Trust me, you'll know. Because God says explicitly in Ezekiel 38 and 39 that the reason he's allowing this to happen, the reason he is releasing the devil at the end of the church age, raising my hand, I'm an amillennialist, that thousand years is the church age and it's almost over, if it hasn't already been over. But that church age, when that's over, the devil is no longer constrained in his powers of deception and therefore, well, war happens. And God says it is to bring his people back to faith in him so that everybody who sees it knows, oh man, I, I belong to Jesus and he's real. And everybody else who sees it says, ah, oh, my flesh is burning, I'm dying. It is that final judgment at the end of this battle. But until then, when it comes to real, like, on the earth, of the earth, geopolitical struggles here. While the, the battle between Gog, Magog, and the children of Israel today is a real thing, it's not always a physical thing. When it comes to the physical stuff going on between Russia and Ukraine, and if anybody's worried and curious about that, why don't you pray a blessing upon everybody involved and ask that they find peace in a way that addresses all of their concerns. Say what you will about Zelensky and his uh, rather disgusting things like sending videos to the Ukrainians saying, let, Ukrainians, let's be gay. The people of Ukraine just want to have a home. That, that really is something that is totally legitimate to want and to have and to pray for their peace and their security and to pray for Russia to have the security they want from what appears to be obvious NATO aggression. But in all things, I'm not a geopolitical analyst. But I can tell you, as a Christian and as a man who loves his Bible, that now is not the time for us to break out the Hal Lindsey books and look for a supercomputer called the Beast. Now is the time for us to bow our heads in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, while we don't know all the details about Gog and Magog, Meshech and Tubal, while we don't know the details of the weapons and we don't know the details of the great burials of the f birds of the air feasting on the flesh of the evil ones, we do know, O oh Lord, that we have three chief enemies. We know that two of them are extremely active in the world today, while the third enemy, our flesh, is extremely active in ourselves, waging war against faith and waging war against you daily. Please forgive us of our sins. Please help us, dear God, to crucify the old Adam in remembrance of our holy baptism when you put our sins upon that cross and said, this one is forgiven. This one is a saint. 
But when it comes to these other two enemies, oh Lord, please protect us from this. We don't win the battle. You do. We pray for peace then between nations and countries and groups and localities so that, O oh Lord, we might be the peacemakers that our Lord Jesus says are blessed. May we glorify you in this. May we pray for peace. And we pray, dear God, that evil will be defeated, not just men. We love you, Lord, and we thank you very much for all of these things. And in the most holy name of Jesus Christ, we pray it, O oh God. Amen.